0: My name is John Murphy, and today we'll be reading uh, from Psalm 90, verse 1 through 17. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's on page 551. I'll give you a moment to get there. Once you get there, say, momentamore. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or even you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight or but yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away with a flood. They are like a dream, like a, like a grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord be upon us and establish the work our hands upon us. This is the word of the Lord.
1: In Renaissance paintings in, in still life, I used to put a memento mori often in the, in the still life, like a skull somewhere in the corner sometimes sometimes in a a very strange perspective so that you could only see the skull if you were standing like right beside the painting instead of dead on but the idea was to always remember you know that everything that exists is tainted or touched with the taint of mortality and you know that's rough but there's some useful things in it it keeps you awake and it, it keeps you focused if you're careful but it also does indicate to you if you think about it the necessity of having a meaning in your life Memento More, and so let me give you a little bit of a story if it's your first time here and maybe you've come over the summer or in the fall and you're like, what have I just walked into here? Um, what I'm going to do today is just sort of lay a little bit of groundwork, and for those of you who have been here, I'm not really going to say anything new today, which is really the whole purpose of this series is that it's not going to be anything new, but it will be critical things that we need to be reminded of. Um, One of the greatest commands that God gives to Israel in the scriptures is to remember, 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 remember what I've said, remember what I have taught. So for some of us, it'll be a refresher. And then I'm praying for some of you, it will be sort of a light bulb moment. And at the end of the sermon, what I'm going to do today is just answer probably a series of questions that you have as to why in the world we would be doing a series on death that kind of seems somber and a little bit morbid and quite frankly, a little bit freaky, right? Um, Why would we do that? And then at the end, I'm going to give you a very specific application point that I believe um, will be very applicable for you um, during the week. And so we start with this question just right out the gate. What does the phrase memento more even mean? Like, like where does that come from? Well, um, good news. Uh, hopefully you, you've picked up on something here at Westside. This is a good part for an amen. Ready? We love the Bible here at Westside. Good, you did your part. I don't have to preach angry, okay? Um, It does come from the scriptures, and it's actually the original Latin translation from Genesis chapter 3. And Genesis 3 is the fall of mankind when sin enters into the world. God's creation is fractured, and he pronounces a series of judgment upon the enemy, and then upon the woman, and then upon the man. And he says these words, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, here it is, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. It's one of the most haunting lines in all of Scripture. Because you see, dear friends, death was not a part of God's original plan. That that our first parents, Adam and Eve, were to live in harmony with God's creation, but rather than worship God, they believed the lie that they themselves could be God. And when they believed that lie and acted upon it, death entered into the world. And so God said, now from this point forward, um, because you were made of dust, you will return back to the Earth. And listen, mankind has been fighting Genesis 3:19 ever since this moment. And actually, it's not up until the past maybe a couple hundred years and Western culture that we've really fought against this idea. I mean, you heard there um, uh, the old Renaissance paintings would put a skull um, maybe in the corner of the painting to remind you, wow, look at this art. It's so beautiful and it's so glorious. And there's a skull right there in the corner, right? It was just a constant reminder in culture. Actually, it even goes further back to Roman history that when a gladiator would enter into a Roman city with chariots and a parade and victory and Russell Crowe had done the thing, and you saw the movie too, it's okay, right? Um, history records that they would put a slave in the chariot. And the slave had one job, that as the gladiator rode through the streets of Rome and rose petals, were thrown at his feet, the slave had one job. He was to lean in every once in a while and to say, Memento more. Memento homos, memento more. Remember, you are just a man. Remember, you will die. It was just a part of culture. It was, it was understood in that sense. And, and there's even hints of it in our culture today that we don't even realize. Um, ring around the rosy, pocket full of posies, ashes to ashes, we all fall dead. That nursery rhyme comes from the bubonic plague when children carried... Pockets full of posies because of the smell of dead bodies. Ring around the rosy was the rash. And they literally had a chant because death was all around them. We see these hints all throughout history that cultures understood and dealt with these things. And really... It's up until the past couple hundred years, and really the past hundred years that we have sort of had an all out attack on making death a part of life and a part of our culture and so now when back in the day children were a part of a funeral and parents wanted them to see the bodies of their loved ones now we leave them in the car as we run in to the visitation because what if what if there's questions what if there's questions what if we actually dove into this, and what if God actually has something for us in this? You see, the phrase memento more literally means, remember your death. It just means, remember your death. So, why in the world would we do an entire series of memento more about death? Well, there's a number of reasons, and the first one is this. Um, church history. I've already kind of told you that this has been a part of church history for thousands of years. Hey, hey, look up here. Don't miss this. You ready for this? This is great. You ready? You're not the first church member. Just let it sink in for a minute. What? I thought this whole thing revolved around me, right? Um, the Church of Jesus Christ has been going well and strong for thousands of years. And um, for some of you, maybe you had family members or friends who um, a little while ago um, started the series of Lent. And that Lent starts with Ash Wednesday, where literally some of the mainline denominations have a prayer service. And you get ashes spread on your forehead in the sign of the cross. And you kneel and you hear the bishop say... From dust you were created, and to dust you shall return. I mean, it is a humbling experience. But why? Why does this season exist in the life of the church? Well, historically, Lent was preparation for Easter. You would go through whether it be confirmation classes or whatever those things are. And then at Easter, there was baptisms, or that was the first time you were able to take communion. There's actually um, a lot of beauty to the structure of it all. Because here's why I think now that Easter has become about baskets and this, that, and the other, is because we don't really understand the gravity of Easter. And the reason why we're doing this series is this, is we can't celebrate the victory of Easter until we have properly understood the problem of death. I mean, what are we celebrating? Jesus rose from the grave? Awesome. How does that affect my everyday life? Well, it's because we hurry up and get past Good Friday because that kind of scares the kids a little, and and that's a bloody cross, and and God went silent on Friday, but oh man, Sunday, Sunday's coming. Sunday is coming, right? Well, a lot of our Christian life is actually lived on Saturday than it is on Sunday. And my great fear is, is that we are addicted to mountaintop experience But rather, we have not learned how to live in the valley of the shadow of death, church history. And then the second reason is this. Our history as a congregation. Um, I see it a lot more than probably you do, unless it's affected you personally. But we worship with people um, last year. Who aren't here now. And I firmly believe that primarily what, what God did in and through the life of JT, you realize that, that we had this series this time last year. And almost in a way, like God was preparing something for us. And and, and what I can can I just be honest with you, I, I got worried when we were all grieving as a congregation and as a community, our youth pastor, the intern, everything, I got worried that, that all of a sudden we were idealizing some things. And then it dawned on me. Um, have you ever driven by an old church? I mean, like, real old church. Because it probably looked something like this. You actually passed gravestones as you walk up to the church. Historically, cemeteries were in the courtyard of a church, and you had to walk through the cemetery in order to enter into the place of worship. Why? Ah, because Hebrews says we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. And I love what the psalmist says in Psalm ninety: "The years of our life are seventy, verse ten, or even by reason of strength, eighty. Yet their span is but toil and trouble; they are soon gone, and we fly away." The psalmist translation: um, "You're going to live to seventy, maybe eighty. A really good deck of cards, maybe eighty. Anything after 80 is total bonus, and then you die, because life is difficult." And there is suffering. And if there is one job that we have as pastors and parishioners of this congregation, it is to prepare us for an ultimate reality. So it's not just church history. It's not just our history. But it's also biblical history. I mean, mean, this is really what it's about, right? What does the Bible say about this? Um, In the pages of Scripture, you would find that... um, Death, dying, die, sleep is a popular term. There are over 2,000 plus verses in the Bible that deal with death. I mean, every time you're reading, on average, every nine chapters in your Bible deals with the topic of death. But yet somehow we like glaze over it, we ignore it, we want no part of that. But it seems to be a pretty common thing that's spoken about in the scriptures. So it's not just our history, church history, biblical history, but it's also reality. Reality. Um, listen, you ready for this? This is the, 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 this is the kicker right here. This is the most positive thing that I can tell you today. Everybody in this chapel and everybody hearing my voice will die. We're so glad you came to Westside today for your first Sunday. <laughs> Yet we live every day like that is not a reality. And we see through the pages of Scripture, I mean, look at what Hebrews 9:27 says. Just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. I mean, listen, I never see this as anyone's life verse. (laughs) Steph Curry has never wrote this on his shoe, right? Hobby Lobby ain't selling these on shiplap, all right? That you can make yourself, and they're dropping $47, okay, whatever, This is something that is so common and so essential to the fabric and the story of the gospel, yet we ignore it so greatly. And so after the series last year and the feedback, this has become now a staple for us to really genuinely prepare us for, number one, the celebration of Easter. But, but as your pastor and, and as my main job and priority, if I am to teach, as Paul would say, the full counsel of God, then this is something that we must talk about, right? And the third thing is this. What's the goal of this series? Where are we going with this? Is it just morbid? Is it just this, that, or the other? Well, listen, Psalm 90 really says it. Look, um, have your Bible with you and look at the first two verses, Look at verse 2 and then verse 3. There's a great break in the text. Verse 1 Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. If you drop up to the top, if your Bible's anything like mine, it says, A prayer of Moses, the man of God. That worked out good for Moses to forever be known in the scriptures as the man of God. That's great, right? But this is a prayer of Moses. Most scholars would agree that Psalm 90 is one of the oldest portions of your Bible that have been written down. Now think about the implications of that. One of the first things that the people of Israel would sing about in corporate worship that was written down was a psalm that talked about not only death, but also verses 1 and 2 talk about the greatness and the magnitude of God and who he is. And then verse 2 or verse 3 says this. You return man to dust and you say, return, O children of man. Verse 4 For a thousand years in your sight, but as yesterday, when it is passed as a watch in the night. Listen, Psalm 90 is about God's greatness and man's weakness. Psalm 90 would say this. Our problem is not that we are weak and frail as human beings. That's not our problem. Our problem as human beings is we don't know how weak and frail we actually are. And there's a reminder, there's there's wisdom that takes place in every day realizing this. Because when you drop down to the thrust of it all in verse 12, he says these words. Verse 12 changes in the psalm. Now, now, Now there's application in the psalm leading all the way up to verse 12 is almost like God is great, man is weak, God was here before Mount Everest, we are weak, God is awesome, we are not. That's like Psalm 90 for dummies, okay? Then you get to verse 12 and the application. So what do we do? What do we do about the greatness of God and the weakness of man? Moses says this, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. There's the application. I love the way that the message translation, Eugene Peterson says it this way, teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. Listen, anytime the Bible tells you how to get wisdom, it would do you well to write it down, okay? And so listen, here's the goal of the series, and this is the big idea and the point of what we want to strive for leading up to Easter, and it's this, that by remembering our death, we would renew our life. Literally, that's Psalm 90, verse 12. Teach us to number our days so we may gain a heart of wisdom. So if you invert that verse and look at it the opposite, if you do not number your days, the Bible would call you foolish in that sense because you're spending a check that you can't cash at the end of the day. And there is wisdom in understanding the brevity of life. I love what one church father, St. Jose Marie said this. At least once daily, cast your mind ahead to the moment of death so that you can consider the events of each day in this light. Did you actually know that in monasteries, one of the practices for the monks was to spend 10 to 15 minutes a day Pondering their death and death in general. Why? Well, because the last part of the quote tells you that you may consider the events of each day in light of this last day. So do you know what happens When you spend time in God's word and you see the greatness of God, and then all through the scriptures, there's just this hint. It drops every once in a while. You are but a mist. The Bible in James would go on to say this. Um, James would say, hey, you know, um, the dew in the morning on your grass It's it's the reason why you have to wait to mow your lawn. And you're like, I really got to mow. And you're like, the dew's all over the grass. What what do I do? I just wait a little bit because then the dew dries up and the Bible goes, great. That's just like your life. And we're like, no, 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 not my life. I have a retirement. We remodeled the kitchen. I, do you know what my last name, do you know what I? monasteries, they would spend time meditating on that because, listen, your priorities change in light of the last day. The Bible talks about the last day constantly, all the time. Um, A part of my job before I came pastor here at Westside, I, I worked at a funeral home and I was an in-house chaplain. And then obviously being a pastor, um, I get a call when a baby's born. And I also get a call that there's not long left. Can you get here? Can you pray with mom? Can you pray with dad? I've been, I've, I've been by a lot of bedsides, a lot of them. And I've had the privilege to pray with families and to anoint people and to be there when they went on to glory. I've got to have conversations with a guy that was debilitated, laying in bed. He still had another month to live. And every Thursday, for an hour, I would go and I would talk with him. And I would ask him questions. Because when the precipice is here, and you can see what's on the other side, do you know what no one's ever told me? God, I'm so glad I did that other load of laundry. I am so glad we added the shed in the backyard. I'm so glad I bid that job just one more. I've never heard it once. I hear regrets. I hear I have peace or I want peace. And I always hear this, I wish, I would have known back here what I know right now in this moment. That's what I wish I could live differently in light of this. The Bible says that when we remember our death, we renew our life. And so as I was preparing for this, I had a question this time around that I didn't ask the first time. At Westside, we, we think Jesus is a pretty big deal, Amen pretty big deal. And so I have this question, did Jesus do this? I mean, if we're followers of Christ, right? If we're disciples of Christ, did Jesus ponder this, think about this, understand this concept? And this week it was just like scripture after scripture after scripture. It just was afresh. Um, How about when Jesus... Right? They have the baby shower for Jesus, and, and the wise men travel from afar and they come and they bring him gifts. And here's what it says in Matthew chapter two, verse 11. "On coming to the house, they saw the child with Mary, mother, and they fell down and they worshipped Him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold because of the kingship of Christ frankincense, which is an offering used in the temple for the priestly aspect of Christ, and myrrh. Do you know what a modern translation of that would be? And they gave him gold and frankincense and embalming fluid. Because that's what myrrh was used for back in the day, for the spices of wrapping the body to preserve it. They brought Jesus Literally embalming fluid on the day he was born, right? Because the scriptures are constantly foreshadowing the death of the Messiah. And then we see in Luke's gospel, Luke's gospel changes in Luke chapter 9. Jesus is healing people. There's people pressing in on crowds, and he's stopping and he's talking to people. And wait a second, someone touch me. Um, I want to talk to them. And I'm hanging out with this woman by the well, and and he's lingering all through the Gospel of Luke until Luke chapter nine, verse fifty-one, and then Luke, just like a movie director, changes the entire narrative. Everything changes. No more mass miracles, no more free lunches from Lunchables, none of that stuff. It says this in Luke 9. And it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Do you know what's in Jerusalem? A cross. A trial. From this moment forward in Luke's gospel, there's no more lingering, there's no more mass, this, any of that stuff. I love what Eugene Peterson says in the message. He says, When it came close to the time for his ascension, he gathered up his courage and steeled himself for the journey to Jerusalem. One of the old translations says, He set his face like flint. That's what Lent is. That's what this series is. Jesus definitely thought about it. It was definitely an aspect to his ministry. But how come we have a problem with it? Even like now, you're like, I came today at the start and over these next, maybe I'll just show up at Easter again. Like this is just the hebe's, the whatever, the all that. We have an aversion to this. I want to show you something and then we're done. Um, In Mark chapter 8, Jesus tries to tell his disciples about this concept of death. He reminds them again. um, Jesus says this sentence to his disciples. I counted, you're probably way smarter than me. you'll, You'll count way more. I counted five times in the Gospels that Jesus literally says this sentence to his disciples. And he began to teach them. That the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. Jesus is teaching his disciples over and over. You can find this quote constantly throughout the Gospels. Um. And do you know what their response is? Oh man, it's so good. Next slide. This is so great. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. The phrase rebuke him in the original language literally means to speak down on. You missed it. You missed it. Peter takes Jesus the Son of God, second member of the Trinity, virgin-born, Messiah, Yeshua, to the side, and says, um, Jesus, the board and I have been talking. <laughs> James and John feel this way, but they, they sent me to come forward. Um, we actually took a vote, an unofficial vote, and we have a problem with your whole suffering and dying thing? So, what we would like is is can you please be the savior of the world and give us everything our little heart desires apart from a bloodstained cross? We just we have a motion on the floor, okay? We have a motion on the floor. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter. This is so good, man. He rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Okay, pause. There's a lot going on. Peter's like rebuking Jesus. This can't happen. And then the authority shifts. And then Jesus is like, Peter, you do not get this, buddy. You never get this. Um, I'm going to rebuke you. And then I'm going, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm going to call you Satan. And it dawned on me this week. Why such a harsh response, Jesus? Why such a harsh response? Because this. Peter and the disciples' desire was that Jesus would accomplish a saving work apart from the cross of Jesus Christ. For it has always been God's plan to use death to bring about life and setting your mind on the things of God, but you're setting your mind on the things of man. Then he turns to the crowd and says this. This is what's so crazy. Next verse. And calling to the crowd, he said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. (gasps) Do you understand what this would have meant contextually? It would be like saying, hey guys, if you want to be my disciple and you want to get close to God, um, you need to take up your electric chair and you need to follow me. The cross was the state symbol of execution. We wear old jewelry now and like got little dangly earrings and things. If you would have worn that in their day, they would have called you a psychopath, okay? That cross is a symbol of state execution, man. How, what are you doing wearing it on a chain? That is because Christianity from the beginning turned a symbol of death into the ultimate symbol of life. It's always been God's design to work this way. So Jesus said, I'm not only going to use death to bring about life. By the way, if you want to be a follower of mine, every day you die. Every day you die. I mean, he didn't turn to the crowd and go, anyone who wants to come after me, take up all of these blessings that I bestow. It was a cross. Because God's plan from the beginning was always to use death to bring about life. And if we passed the microphone around, and you talked about your relationship with Jesus and how it changed, you would say it was the moment that I surrendered my life, that everything changed from that moment forward. Listen, we have a distorted view of death just like Peter does. Our our distorted view of death falls in two categories. The first distorted view of death is this, it's denial. We just deny it constantly. By the way, in parentheses, you can put out by the side, youthfulness, okay, (laughs) Youthfulness. That's what the Bible... Hey, by the way, if you're a young man in here, I love you. You need to come to West Side Men. But you need to know this. The Bible has nothing good to say about a young man. (laughs) Nothing. Except this. You're strong. Okay, so it's diarrhea, all right? (laughs) Doesn't mean nothing. The Bible says that because of your strength, you're actually foolish and reckless is what you are. But then when we get older, we view death differently. It's not denial, it's despair. Whew. Hey, listen, you can call my nanny right now, 888-3017 in Kennett, Missouri. You can talk to her. You can say this, "Nanny, how you doing today?" and she'll say these words, "I'm here today." Cuz when you're 87 years old, you wake up and you think about these things. What if there's a third way? What if there's really a third way? What if death could actually draw us closer to God? That's the point of this, that God has always used death to bring about life, that by remembering our death, we would renew our life. As the band comes and leads us in a time of response, I have a specific application that I also had when we first did this series. Today, when you're called for to come and grab communion, at the communion tables, there's a sheet of paper that has instructions for an exercise on it. And the exercise is the writing of your own obituary. Um, You know, it talks about what to write, your year of birth, education, all of that stuff. But by writing your own obituary and you see it on that sheet of paper, maybe, just maybe, God could use that to renew your life. And for some of you who've been a part of this journey with us, and you're like, man, I did that, and that was powerful, here's what I want you to do. I want you to renew, review your obituary that you wrote last year. 365 days. What'd you write on it? Were their goals? Were their aspirations? How's that going now? Another year has passed by. A lot has changed since we first did this. And it dawned on me. I remembered. Um, Adam and I used to meet with T every morning for a Bible study. And he shared with me when he was here last year as a part of this series. And he actually did what the preacher said. is amazing. He um, wrote his own obituary. And I've debated whether to share it, and I really think that it proves the point. He wrote it on March seventh, 2022, just this past week. It says, Jonathan Bryce Thurman, born February 9th, 2001 at the Popper Bluff Regional Medical Center in Popper Bluff, Missouri, died on March 7th, 2022. He was preceded in death by his mother, Joyce Thurman, who lived in Popper Bluff, and was survived by his father, Randy Keith Thurman, brother Parker Keith Thurman, and sister Ashley Nicole Coons. Jonathan was an alumni of the Popper Bluff High School in Three Rivers College. Jonathan worked at Walmart Pharmacy. He was a part of Westside Church where he served in the youth. Jonathan loved to hang with the people that he loved. And you know that if that was you. Three words that would describe his life are energetic, joyful, and intentional. The last sentence. Until we meet again, memento more. It's just been a year. I used to say things like, none of us are exempt from our phone ringing or the doctor calling. It's a lot different on this side now. So I'm just praying that God would do something in us and in you individually. That by remembering our death, it would renew our life. Father God, we come before you today we just ask a move of your spirit. God, it's very, very humbling to be reminded, to be stopped in our tracks, literally. And maybe that's exactly what you wanted. And to slow down. To go remember, remember, remember. God, may priority lists change. May goals and aspirations change. God, the fight and the argument pales in comparison of memento more. May relationships be reconciled. Holy Spirit, have your way with us and humble us. And may we be reminded of just how weak and frail we are and how great and mighty our god is we pray this all in the holy and in the precious name of jesus christ amen